The succulent, this orchid, oh, this fiddly fig. Let me guess, prairie gardens? You know it. I've never seen so many houseplants anywhere. Ugh, I do not have a green thumb. Oh, I thought I didn't either, but they have plant experts with the best tips. I better get out there. <laughs> I'm coming with. Prairie gardens, extraordinary gardening, home decor, framing, and the area's largest selection of houseplants. Your flagship home for fighting Illini football, basketball, volleyball, baseball, and softball is here on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217 356 9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning once again and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly in downtown San Francisco, Lauren Tate and our Pella Sports Talk headquarters in Champaign. Good morning, Lauren. I miss you. <laughs> Good morning. I miss you. How are, you is it, are you having a lot of fun in the sunshine out there? It is. The weather's been good. Uh, Mid-50s has been the high the uh, couple of days we've been here so far. They are uh, forecasting some rain in the area tomorrow, but game day looks good with a high of about 55 for that uh, 3 o'clock, 3.05 uh, central time start. Illinois and Cal and the Red Box Bowl. So a lot going on. The uh, The team uh, has been busy with uh, various activities. They practiced uh, yesterday. They'll do that again today. They went to Alcatraz and uh, did a couple of other things. They're going to uh, serve some meals uh, later this morning at a location uh, downtown San Francisco. So they're getting a lot in as they prepare for uh, this ball game. And uh, we'll talk more about that uh, coming up on the show. Josh Whitman will join us in our second hour, Fred Wakefield as well. Fred is the West Coast Director of Relationships and Donor Relationships and Development. He's based out of Phoenix, but uh, he is here. He'll tell us more about the big Illinois alumni base here in uh, Northern California, the San Francisco area. So everything is going uh, fine now. Now let's get to the game, but that's still a couple of days away. Well, it sounds like the Illini are going to be a little healthier than they were against Northwestern. And certainly with Peters back, that makes a big difference. But you know anything about any of the other players that are that, have, that you know they had a, they had a list of 18 guys they gave us in the Northwestern game. I think 10 of them were, had been out for the season. You know, going back to Beasley and others. But there were also eight new guys that were out for the Northwestern game. 18 in all. You get any feel for that at all? Nothing official. I've asked around a little bit. Practices are closed, so we don't see uh, really who is practicing and who's not. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to get to, to practice yet. Everything is so far away where they're doing things. And they, uh, indeed, the stadium is about an hour away from uh, downtown San Francisco. I'm hearing that uh, Josh Imatora Bebe is questionable. I don't know that, uh, that he'll go. Jake Hansen is a guy everybody asks about a lot, but he hasn't played in several weeks now. Yeah. I have, I, I'm getting no indication that he will, but I haven't been told that he won't. Yeah. So uh, a lot of those things uh, Lovey likes to, and most football coaches likes to keep uh, under his vest until 
game time. So I don't know the definitive answer there, but uh, getting Peters back is certainly big. The offense runs so much better with him. And he was at the uh, press conference yesterday along with Dele Harding and Reggie Corbin. So he, he said he was actually cleared a day or two after the uh, Northwestern game. He mm-hmm. was pushing hard to try to play in that, yeah. but, uh, but couldn't get that done. Well, they're not going to give him any leeway on that because that was his second uh, concussion of this season, and he also had one against Wisconsin when st- when he started a game for Michigan, and, and that knocked him out, I think, for a while that season. That was a couple seasons ago. So uh, that that's three concussions that I know of that he's had, so they're not going to give him any, you know, they're not going to let him come back very soon. Our phone line is open if you want to join us this morning, talk about uh, – the bowl season, Illinois basketball, whatever else might be on your mind, 356-9397. We're here until 11 o'clock as usual, till 9 o'clock here in the, the West Coast. Our guests this morning include, as I mentioned, Josh Whitman, Fred Wakefield. We'll try to round up some other folks in that second hour out here. Will Leach will join us for his monthly visit with us at about 9.15. Jess Settles from BTN will connect with us and we'll talk some uh, Big Ten basketball with him and in the meantime as I mentioned the phone lines are open the Big Ten is 2-0 Lauren in bowl games Michigan State with a win yesterday 27-21 over Wake Forest and Iowa number 16 over 22nd ranked USC last night 49-24 both those teams look pretty good oh man Iowa just uh, continues to impress I think that it's taken us a long time to understand that I was here to stay there they're just solid, you know. And, and Steve, the games they lose are close, but they just uh, they just pushed uh, Southern Cal right out the end of the end zone in, in that game. And um, you know, uh, I'm I'm finding it's interesting. All these different bowl games, other than the playoff games, are interesting to me in terms of the number of players who want to play. I ran across a, a list of 19 players who aren't playing in these bowl games because they're most of them are just getting ready for the. Uh, for the draft. Now, Oklahoma had a wide receiver named Trajan Bridges who was suspended. I think there have been maybe a couple players suspended, but um, the interesting thing, Alabama's playing Michigan, and, and they've lost uh, Trevon Diggs, a cornerback, and Terrell Lewis, a linebacker, have elected not to play, just elected not to play and get ready for the draft. Jerry Judy, who's also a wide receiver on that uh, Alabama team, will play against Michigan, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of talk about Guys that are high in the draft, when they elect to play, it's almost like they get a, a badge of courage or something. But Judy's going to play in that Citrus Bowl in Orlando against against Michigan. But I just find it interesting, you know, that we've reached that point in our, you know, in, in developing uh, players that uh, when they get to when they get this close to the draft, they're just really concerned about injuries. I get that. They must be awful confident about their. Their draftability, though, because on the other hand, uh, one more game to show what you could do wouldn't hurt either. For well, that's right. Uh, and, 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 you know, a guy like Judy, uh, he can catch some passes against. Uh, and by the way, he's when you're when you're a wide receiver, maybe it's a little bit safe. Would you say it's safer than if you're a sure. linebacker? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it seems like there's more contact with a linebacker. But uh, anyway, uh, this is a, a new aspect to. Some of the football. Here's an interesting one, Steve. Washington had two players step out of their game against Boise State, and they killed them anyway. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's it's hard to know how this actually affects the games. 
Speaking of linebackers, on Monday you'll see two of the best in the country as far as number of tackles go. Daley Harding, of course, uh, led the Big Ten in tackles, and Evan Weaver for Cal led the country. He's got 178 tackles going into to this ball game. He just the way they play their defense, a 3-4 defense. Um, he plays in the middle and kind of cleans up a lot of things. And uh, he would have had a chance to, to sit out and maybe miss the bowl game and feel good about his chances. But yeah. uh, he's ready to play, and he's looking forward to it. So that will be a, another angle of that game to watch, uh, two outstanding linebackers. This is for you, Steve. This is the 41st anniversary of Woody Hayes and Ohio State against Clemson. Yep, I remember that well. And I've, as growing up an Ohio State fan, I, I was just saddened by that whole thing because it cost Woody Hayes his job in a, in a Hall of Fame career. But uh, those two teams meet again tonight. A little more on the line other than just a bowl game. That is the Fiesta Bowl, but it's a semifinal game in the uh, college football playoffs at 7. Ohio State and Clemson ranked 2 and 3. What do you remember about – and you had a chance to – to interview Woody Hayes oh, a yeah. few times, as as did I, and yeah. he was one of the one of the guys you look forward to talking to. Yeah, he we were big buddies. <laughs> I, just, I remember uh, waking him up at the Lincoln Hotel down here uh, uh, one one day to do an interview, and I did some I did a bunch, I was doing TV back then, Steve, and uh, one day uh, Woody I, I brought my camera out and, and you know when he was practicing, and he said, "No, nah, I wasn't going to do it," and he wouldn't do it, and he wouldn't do it. The next thing, I, I put my camera up so he had to walk by me on the way off the field. And he saw me, and he came over, and he all right. And he, we ran out of tape. He, he talked <laughs> until we ran out of tape. But in that game against Clemson, they lost 17-15, to 15, Steve, with two minutes left. Charlie Bauman intercepted an Arch Leister pass and returned, and, and, he, and he wound up in, on the sideline right in the Ohio State sideline and of course right up against Woody and then Woody took a swing at him <laughs> and that was the that was the end of Woody's coaching career after 28 years at Ohio State he was 238 and 72 with eight ties yeah one of the legendary coaches the all-time winningest coach in uh, Big Ten history a lot of uh, Woody Hayes lore it goes around the state of Ohio. One of the funnier things that, uh, and whether or not this happened, I, I can't confirm, but he was on a recruiting trip looking at a kid across the state line in Michigan, <laughs> and um, he was heading back to Ohio, and it, as the story goes, his car ran out of gas. He stopped and pushed his car into Toledo <laughs> so he didn't have to buy gas in Michigan. Come on. That's probably, that's probably not true, but it's a – those are the kinds of stories. And another one was he used to have a tendency in practice to, to get mad and, and be very demonstrative, as he did on the sideline during games. But he would take off his wristwatch and throw it down and, and jump on it and everything else. And one time he opened his jacket for, uh, at practice. <laughs> how, many, how many did he have? <laughs> there was a half a dozen watches in there ready for him to toss down. <laughs> Again, I don't know how, how much of that is true, but I do remember when, when I was in Scott, high school in Troy, Ohio, when Woody Hayes came to Troy High School to look at, uh, at a kid, it was like the Pope showed mm. up. I mean, it, uh, everybody was sticking their heads out of the uh, classroom uh, doors to, to see him go down uh, By the, the way, hallways there. You know why he stayed at the Lincoln Hotel here, don't you? He was an Abraham Lincoln guy. Of course. Yeah, he was a historian. He, he loved... He loved uh, uh, generals and presidents, or at least at least one president, Abraham Lincoln. 
He, right. he, had, he had done a lot of study on him, and so that he insisted on staying at the Lincoln Hotel. Motel. We mentioned, yep, we mentioned uh, Michigan State and Iowa victorious in bowl games. Other bowl games yesterday, North Carolina beat Temple 55-13. Oklahoma State uh, lost to Texas A&M 24-21. Air Force beat Washington State 31-21. In games today involving uh, Big Ten teams, Penn State plays against Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. Other uh, games, Notre Dame in uh, the Camping World Bowl in Florida against Iowa State. And then the two big games, number one, LSU against number four, Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. That's a semifinal game. And then Ohio State and Clemson tonight at 7 o'clock in the Fiesta Bowl. By the way, Steve, uh, uh, Oklahoma's got a couple players suspended from that game, by the way. I mean, they're, they're, they're shorthanded. I, I know that wide receiver uh, Bridges is out. And I think there's another one. So uh, LSU has a little edge there in terms of personnel, maybe. Some basketball teams getting back to action after uh, some of them have had a uh, little bit of a time off, including Illinois. The Illini play tomorrow at uh, 1 o'clock against uh, North Carolina A&T. More about that and uh, the resumption of uh, Big Ten basketball season coming up next week as well. It is uh, 9-12, almost 9-13, on Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. Phone line is open, 356-9397. We'll take our first time out on the show originating from San Francisco. Back with more after this. Stay with us. It's a special bowl preview show live from San Francisco on Sunday night with Brian Barnhart and company. Join us at 8 o'clock Sunday night from San Francisco on EWS. 9.15 on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate, Ed Bond, and myself are in downtown San Francisco at the Hyatt Regency where the Illini have set up headquarters as they get ready to play in Monday's bowl game, the Red Box Bowl against the Cal Golden Bears. That game gets underway at 1 o'clock here on the coast, 3 o'clock Central Time, Illinois and Cal. Do we have Will Leach on the line? Yes, we do. Hello, sir. Good morning, Will. How are you? Good morning. Happy holidays, sir. Same to you. Where have you been over the last uh, couple of weeks since we last talked to you? I know you paid close attention uh, to the bragging rights game, but what else has been keeping you busy? Yeah, I mercifully was not there. I'm still uh, kind of in recovery uh, from that one, to be honest. I was trying to remember a more demoralizing bragging rights loss tonight. We had a hard time coming up with one. There were tougher losses, but uh, I don't know if there was one that was just generally more demoralizing. Uh, but, yeah, so, so we have the holidays here in Georgia. I will be at the Peach Bowl today, the LSU-Oklahoma uh, Peach Bowl today. So I'll, I'll be there for that, and I'll be out in New Orleans for the national championship game. So uh, I, I, it's funny. If, if, if Illinois was go, would have made the pinstripe bowl, I was going to go, but I have been I have been to Levi Stadium, and as you know, considering how far you are from it right now, that is definitely not in San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco is one of my favorite cities in the world, but I've been there a couple times, and all told, I prefer San Francisco. You know, I was going to say, Will, that the the temperature at the Pinstripe Bowl is almost the same as it is in San Francisco. Can you imagine that? This this time <laughs> yeah. of year. Well, all the talk. All the, I mean, listen, no, no weather is more unpredictable than San Francisco as a general rule. But uh, uh, I guess this could be uh, a blessing that the game is not at Candlestick, the old Candlestick Park. That place could be – that place was famous but could get, like, below freezing in August. So at the very least, I guess that's a positive for it to be in Santa Clara. But, listen, it's exciting, man. I am – you know, it has been a while 
that Illinois has made a bowl. I certainly understand uh, some people's concerns with how the season ended, but uh, uh, I am not enough of a uh, cynic to not be cheered by seeing all of those Illini players who have been through so much and so many different coaches and so many different things. To see them enjoying themselves and celebrating, it's, it's an exciting thing. And I, I, I think no matter uh, what your thoughts on the program, and I think I'm more positive, I'm pretty positive about it, but no matter what your thoughts, I think it's hard not to be happy with, uh, with, what, with, with, the, with this opportunity for those kids. Have you followed the uh, Peach Bowl closely? We're, we're interested in LSU in particular because of Greg McMahon, former Illinois coach and ran tool product here as, as an assistant coach on that LSU team for Ed Orgeron. And, uh, I understand that a couple of the Oklahoma players have been suspended. I mean, what are you hearing about that Peach Bowl game? Yeah, you know, LSU, I, I think clearly, you know, kind of a rarity for the college football playoff. There's three obvious like the three undefeated teams, we're, sometimes we're lucky to get one. So I think to have that, whoever was fourth was, uh, whether it was, whether it was uh, it being Georgia or Baylor or whoever, or whoever stuck into that game, or even Utah, uh, they were going to be a pretty heavy underdog against LSU. I know LSU's running back is kind of questionable, but, you know, for me, I, I was at uh, the SEC championship game at the same stadium where they will be uh, this afternoon, and that team looked – that team, like basically LSU has been an enormously talented team for years now. They've just not been able to figure out both the quarterback position uh, and the offensive scheme. They have figured that out, and I think they're the monster. And, you know, there is something about those, the old, those, the old line that uh, LSU has won all of its national championships by winning them in the Superdome. That's actually happened uh, every time. They kind of have a sense of this being the special year for them. I, so if you remember when Joe Burrow came out uh, in kind of the Keesian spelling of his name on senior day, he is a, an Ohio, transfer, Ohio State transfer who is uh, just a beloved guy there. So I think Oklahoma has its work cut out for it. They always have a puncher's chance with that offense, but for me, LSU is just operating at a different level right now. Talking to Will Leach, uh, the other game, Ohio State and Clemson, you've had a chance to uh, see both those teams, if not in person, certainly in multiple times on television. How do you size that one up? Clemson's trying to play the the no-respect card, even though they're the defending national champions, but you've got a battle of unbeaten teams there. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I have to say, I do. I wrote, a, I wrote an article for New York Magazine about Dabo Sweeney at the beginning of the year, kind of pointing out some of his inconsistencies, I would say. And uh, people were like, a lot of the time, people were like, leave Dabo alone. This is the year where America turned on Dabo Sweeney. I don't think there's any question about that with the with the no respect card. I mean, this team, sure, they struggled early. But they, they were so close to losing North Carolina. If that, that two-point conversion uh, goes through, well, I guess probably Clemson's still number four here, actually. <laughs> They'd probably be playing LSU rather than Ohio State. But since that game, they've been dominant. Like They have been absolutely dominant on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, Jordan Lawrence struggled a little bit early, but I think he's got – since, since that game, it's 27 touchdowns and no interceptions. Uh, they are powerful. But, you know, you talk to – I'm sure you guys have talked to a lot of these people too. Ohio State fans and media, they think they've got something special this, this year too. And I think, you know, what field kind of unlocked, not just in the offense, you know, for all the talk about Greg Schiano at Rutgers, uh, when they got him away from the defense, that defense got a lot better. It's hard to imagine them giving up that much many, that many points to Iowa ever again. I would put it that way. So that, that, is, that to me is the – one of the best matchups to remind, in a while. It reminds me a lot of the Georgia-Oklahoma game at the Rose Bowl, actually, uh, three years ago, which was famously a double overtime, 54-48 game. I can see that happening here. I, I do think that if you're timing your day right, you can probably uh, relax a little bit when LSU pulls away and uh, get geared up for the big one tonight. 
So if, if it's LSU against either one of those teams, you still like an LSU in the championship? I think so. I, I, I just think there is. I know this is kind of an ephemeral thing, but there's something special about this LSU team. I have many friends uh, uh, down the bayou, and they this this is a team that they really from the get-go felt was different. Obviously part of that is because and Orgeron has the – completely inscrutable Louisiana accent, which they all love, and I can't ever understand what he's saying. <laughs> but By the way, before you more. get off that, have you, have you read that uh, lead about him uh, that when uh, this, the writer talked about his voice? Have you seen that? You don't know no, what I'm, I'm talking about? Sure oh, boy, it's the best. It's the be- <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but it's the, best, <laughs> it's the best lead in the history of writing in sports, period. There's never been anything oh, wow. like it. You've got to find oh, it. Just just look up oh, Ed Orgeron and his voice. It is incredible. And and his voice is incredible. <laughs> and it is, you know, and it's funny, too, because he is such a perfect fit there. It's weird to think he ever coached USC. <laughs> it just seems odd to even imagine him visiting California, let alone uh, coaching uh, USC. So, uh, yeah, he's such a perfect fit there. Uh, and he's so interesting in a way. He reminds me a little bit of kind of the old college football coaches of the 80s and 90s a little bit. Like, where not everyone is like a Nick Saban clone and, and everyone is all, you know, it's all about the, the operation and the machine of the, of the organization. He really does, you know, he did something that, that uh, is kind of rare in college sports. He said before this year, listen, I've been unable to personally fix the offense. So I'm going to hand it over to someone who knows it better than me. And that is a hard thing for any one of these coaches to do out of ego, out of budget, out of all of these things. And it's clearly worked out splendidly. Got a couple of more minutes left with uh, Will Leach at uh, 923. Let's talk about Major League Baseball, the hot stove league or warm stove league, uh, depending on cool stove league, maybe depending on what team you follow. But as far as the, the three local teams to our listening area, the Cardinals, and the Cubs and the White Sox. The White Sox have been the hottest as far as being busy. Your thoughts on what you've seen so far with those three teams? Yeah, I like what the White Sox are doing. This is what people kind of wanted them to do last year with Manny Machado, right? And I think they came close to that. This is what you want teams to do. When they, when they kind of like go younger, but they get a chance to start getting a little bit better, they get more aggressive. Uh, the Cardinals have been decidedly less aggressive, and they would argue that they made the National Championship Series, they made the Final Four, so they only need to tweak at the margins. Frankly, I while I have my questions with, with that strategy, you look at the rest of the NL Central, and it doesn't. Other than maybe the Reds, no one appears to be flooring it. Which I, I think brings us to the Cubs, and I actually I'm not sure there's a more interesting team, uh, for better or for worse, uh, than the Cubs over the next uh, month or so. All of Major League Baseball is waiting to see what they're going to do. Uh, it could be everyone's on the table. It could be no one's on the table. All all of their moves seem to be leading up to something big, but it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, the, I mean, the number of players that are connected to the Cubs dynasty and beloved key players of those teams that are being tossed out. I mean, never mind Chris Bryant, who's been discussed a long time, which still strikes me as kind of crazy, but like Wilson Contreras and Jose Quintana, and like all of these like key Cubs players, they're talking about trading a lot of those guys. They could really reshape baseball and their own roster in a short amount of time. And I have to say, be fair i am a cardinals fan so keep that in mind but if i were a cubs fan i have to tell you i would be pretty frustrated with the idea the amount of money that i've spent on that team over the last uh, five or six years or really the last 50 or 60 years the idea and they've built new hotels around wrigley field and did all these renovations they've got all this money coming in to suddenly now cry poor and potentially trade away 
the guy that fielded the ball that won them their first world championship <laughs> in, uh, in more than 100 years. I, 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 maybe they can make some sort of financial, logical argument for it, but if I were a Cubs fan, I, I, I'd be pretty hesitant to buy it. Well, they're, uh, they're over the, the limit on, on – I think they're over $200 million on their salary, and I think that's the whole hang-up for the Cubs. I mean, they, they haven't been able they, – they're, they're trying to figure out how to get back under 200 I guess, or 210 somewhere, whatever yeah. that, that limit is. But it's, but it's weird. Like, it, that's the thing, though, is I think that people have kind of internalized this idea that it is an actual limit. <laughs> it's not. Well, like, they can no. go over it. Yeah, and and the Cubs have and for me, I would understand why say the Indians wouldn't go over it because they don't get a lot of fans, they don't have a lot of TV deal, they don't have a cash cow like the field does. For me, sure, it makes financial prudent prudent financial sense for the Cubs to do that. But if I'm a Cubs fan, like I, I'm sorry, okay, will you start giving me a tax credit on my ticket? Will you start giving me a discount on the on the stuff that I'm buying for your team? It's weird that. Uh, that, that the Cubs have brought in all of this money, but now are saying, oh, no, we have to get under this, this tax. They don't actually have to get under the, this tax. And so I think they want to get under that tax. And I think that's a different thing. And for me, it's one thing to understand that, like, okay, last year was a difficult year. They're going to have to make some changes. I understand that. Uh, they, 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 there's a new manager. There's a lot of changes going around. To do, let's trade Chris Bryant two or three years before he's a free agent uh, because we want to get under this arbitrary number uh, I, I don't know. I, I would have a problem with that. If I'm Let's uh, go to the phones real quick. We do have the lines open. Uh, Will Leach is with us for a couple of more minutes. Joe in Champaign, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Will. Thanks for um, being on the program. I have a question and a comment. I read with interest your columns uh, entitled From Scratch in Golf Magazine, and I was wondering <laughs> if you'd talk about your work with John Tattersall and uh, your buddies down there and, and – Will this engagement continue? Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for bringing this up. I'm very happy to talk about this. Uh, for the last year, I have been a monthly columnist for Golf Magazine. Golf Magazine had new ownership last year, and they brought in a new editorial staff, and they wanted to bring in some quote-unquote name writers. And when they all said no, they asked me. <laughs> and I said, and I said, uh, I said, well, actually, you should know, I don't actually like golf. <laughs> I, I actually think it's even sometimes a waste of land that could be used for many better things. So I don't know if I should be a golf columnist. Like, well, let's think about something. So we decided to send me up with the aforementioned John Tattersall, who's one of the top 100 instructors here in, here in Georgia. And he took me out. He took, gave me monthly lessons on how to become a better golfer. And I learned so much more about the game. I, the idea of the columnist, uh, I was almost kind of like a wayward boob. I was the idiot that didn't understand the game. Well, this absolute expert explained it to me. And I was able to, like, hopefully, anyway, and hopefully the, the, the caller had this experience, uh, kind of a, a make that into an experience that the experienced golfers uh, would be able to appreciate. Because my last time, I just finished it, and my last time was really kind of an ode to the scratch golfer. I think everyone kind of has this idea if you, if you, if, when you play golf that you're terrible and you're awful. Trust me, I've played golf with you people. You're not terrible. I am terrible. I am very <laughs> terrible. And so for me, it made me appreciate how good – the average or just the regular duffer golfer is as someone that is not only not only really into the game but unbelievably bad at it. Appreciate that call, Joe. Will, we appreciate your time uh, as always. I want to go back to the bragging rights real quick. You, you talked about it being a disappointing loss for you, certainly for other Illini fans. But were you surprised by that? Were you surprised about the way that game played out and the fact that, that Missouri was certainly uh, more ready to play? It certainly appeared. 
I totally understood why Missouri kind of came out as a as a house of fire. Uh, I didn't expect Illinois to kind of cower like that a little bit, yeah. and it felt a little bit like the Miami game, and uh, except there was no real finishing kick that that got it going. And you know, after uh, the Miami game was very discouraging, but then you have the Maryland game, Michigan game, you feel like okay, they turned some sort of corner, and to take a step backward, perhaps even a bigger step backward, it, it's worrisome. There's no real good non-conference wins now. It's set a pretty high bar for what they're reckoning the Big Ten has to be. And listen, I think that we've all been optimistic about this team. This team has been hyped up a lot. This team obviously has a lot of talent. I mean, all I, like every Illinois basketball fan, just desperately want Illinois basketball to be the way it is supposed to be, the way I grew up with it being, the way it should be. And this, if, if they don't make the tournament this year, I think you have to start raising a lot of questions. And uh, uh, I, I don't know about you, I'm not eager to start over again. And so uh, I that game was particularly worse, and they've got lots of opportunities uh, to get big wins. But uh, yeah, that was, I found that Missouri one even more discouraging than the Miami one because if they're not up for that game, uh, I'm concerned. Well, I, I've got I still can't get over the statistics in that game. Now the 17 turnovers that's almost normal for this team. They're not good ball handlers, but four assists and only one assist by the three guards. One assist by the three guards. They're not helping each other. And that's something I don't know whether they can recover from or not. They're behind right now 10 other teams in the Big Ten in the new net, which I will not ask you to explain, but it's one of the <laughs> systems that they're using by the NCAA, that the NCAA is using to select teams for the NCAA tournament. Right now, Illinois is 11th among Big Ten schools. So, so there. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. It's, it, and listen, I still – I know we're, we're about done, but, like, I will say I still feel like this puzzle can be solved. I think yeah. you've seen Underwood adjusting his system a little bit, and uh, obviously with what Kofi has brought to the to the team has changed the personality a little bit. A little bit. Not all the parts are fitting just right, and I think they can fit just right. But boy, they are running short on time. Well, Lauren and I really appreciate you taking time all this year to come on with us about once uh, once a month or so, and uh, we hope to carry that tradition into the new year. Happy New Year to you and your family. Of course, uh, and to yours as well. It's a pleasure every time. Have, have a good 2020. Thanks, Will. We'll leach with us at 9.32. We'll take a break. We'll talk some Big Ten basketball after our next time out. We'll keep the phone lines open, 356-9397. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues after this. Sunday, Illinois basketball's final non-conference game of the season against North Carolina A&T, a 1 o'clock tip-off, 11.30 game day coverage Sunday here on DWS. 9.34 on DWS, Illini Pellas, Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until 11. Mr. Tate, the Illini basketball team uh, back in action tomorrow at the State Farm Center. Final non-conference game and... One of those games coming off that disappointing Missouri loss, then you got to sit on that for a week uh, before you play again. But uh, that's the way the schedule goes, and uh, they should pick up a win tomorrow. But uh, what, what do you want to see in this game tomorrow as it uh, heads into Big Ten play? Well, I think I want to see some more teamwork. I want to see some, some shooting and some set, uh, players setting each other up more than just throwing the ball into the post uh, to Kofi. I, the guards can't play a full a uh, 40-minute game with one turn with one assist, 17 turnovers and, and four assists for the team. One assist by the three guards. That can't be. Have we got Jess on here? Jess, are you on there? Uh, okay. Jess Settles, are you there? Yeah. How are you guys? Y y hear me, Jess. Yes. 
Well, I'm going to do something to you here because I want you to. I want. I'm going to read something because we talked about it in the last period, and, and I brought it up, and yet I couldn't follow up. This is the best lead I've ever seen for a football uh, uh, game. This is written by Chuck Culpepper of the Washington. I think the Washington Times, the Washington Post, the Washington Post. And here, here I go. This is about Ed Orgeron and his voice. Listen meticulously to the lionized voice of Ed Orgeron, who might think you hear, you might think you hear the gators sloshing, the mosquitoes buzzing, the oil rig helicopters chuffing. You might picture the muskrats out swimming just before dawn, the Spanish moss hanging, the crawfish puffing through their gills, the shrimp trawlers outriggers above the bayou. You might even detect the French and Southern in his singular dance. You might feel a certain, for lack of a better word, gumbo. What a lead, huh? <laughs> that's about, you've heard Orgeron talk, and I, I think that's the best description of it I've ever heard. Uh, he's he's a guy with a ton of personality, and I'm I'm just so happy for him. I know he's overcome a lot of trials and tribulations, sometimes not taken seriously, but uh, he can sure coach. Well, Jess, tell us what you see about the Big Ten at this point. I I noticed that the new Nets got uh, uh, got uh, 11 Big Ten teams among the top 48 in the nation, which is kind of a, a mishmash, if you ask me. Between 16 and 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 30, you've got. Michigan, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan State, uh, Michigan State, Iowa, Minnesota, Indiana. Man, that's a that's a bunch of teams right there in a big group, and and I don't know, you know, it's got to break out one way or another. How do you see it breaking out? Well, I think a lot will be determined over the next four or five games, and and it's really been fascinating to see this start. I mean, I kind of thought I had it figured out with Ohio State being pretty dominant. And then they go up to Minnesota and just get taken to the woodshed. And that, uh, that really flipped everything. And just let everybody know that pretty much every game is going to be a dogfight this year at the Big Ten Conference. I think the league is a lot better than what I thought it would be. There were so many great players that left the league from last year. Uh, Jordan Poole and Iggy from Michigan. Tyler Cook at Iowa. Amir Coffey at Minnesota. A lot of those underclassmen, Lauren, who weren't guaranteed to be first-round picks, still left yep. and that created a somewhat of a talent vacuum and you were like who's who's going to step up i mean lamar stevens at penn state and cassius winston were basically you know just a couple of the handful of guys who you just knew were stars but every there were so many question marks around other players and it seems like so many guys have just taken their games to another level they were ready to go and it's it's made for some fascinating basketball around the country it's down a little bit there's not a dominant team but you look what the Big Ten has done in the non-conference and obviously what they're going to do to each other, and it's just going to be an exciting year. I've been pleasantly surprised. We're talking Big Ten basketball with uh, Jess Settles from BTN, Lauren Tate, and Steve Kelly. Uh, Jess, give me your thoughts on what you've seen of the uh, fighting Illini through uh, 12 games. They're 8-4, and four, uh, nice win over Michigan, a pretty competitive game at Maryland, but a couple of uh, head-scratchers as well, including the bragging rights game last week against Missouri. I like what they've done defensively this year in a lot of games. I like how Coach Underwood has changed his strategy somewhat. I think a couple seasons ago, Steve, when I was on with you guys, we talked about can Coach Underwood get away with this aggressive defense without a rim protector? Can he be in passing lanes? Can he afford to give up backdoor cuts? Can they stay in this type of foul trouble and give up easy free throws? And, and the answer was no, they couldn't. So 
you give him credit for, I mean, obviously bringing Coburn, that changes everything. He's been such a dominant rim protector. Uh, Georgie is obviously a good rim protector as well. But they've, they're not as aggressive on the perimeter defensively, which has led to fewer free throws to, with other teams. More teams have had to earn their baskets. Uh, the, the game at Maryland was a, you know, a tragedy. If you're an Illinois fan, that just is a game that you have to win. They deserve to win that game, and then they lost it. You come back and have a quality win against Michigan. And so I did not get a chance to watch the Missouri game. It sounds like not many assists in that game, not, not very well played. But I look at their season really in a snapshot over the last five games. They've got over the next five games, excuse me. They've got three out of their next five at home. Um, those are games that they're really going to have to win. They've got Northwestern and Rutgers and Purdue, I believe, on their home court with a game at Michigan State. So it's just, look, they've got to play well in those games and uh, everything else will take care of themselves. If they come out and stumble, go one and four, it's going to be hard to recover in this type of Big Ten. Have you ever seen the home court so, uh, such an advantage? I know it's always been an advantage, but this is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've never seen anything like this where you just win all your home games. I mean, even Nebraska, Lauren, I mean, Nebraska has been horrible at the beginning of the year. I mean, they've been destroyed by some teams in the non-conference, and they come back almost – win at Indiana, I believe that game went to overtime. Yeah, it did. And then come back and handle Purdue at home. So you thought, okay, the middle of the pack is going to be extremely competitive. Ohio State, Michigan State will probably run away with it at the top, maybe Maryland thrown in there. But now it's just, look, man, you're going to have to go to Nebraska and play your best game in order to get a win. How do you see uh, Iowa going forward with uh, Bohannon out and uh, two other players, uh, the coach's son is out, and, and one other. Uh, they've got three of their keep – three of their rotation players are out for the season, and uh, well, I think they're out for the, the entire season. I mean, at least they're out for the beginning of the Big Ten season here in January. Uh, how do you see Iowa doing, and, and how long does uh, – how, how will Michigan do without Livers? Well, Iowa, first of all, I mean, they just can't afford to lose anyone else. It's been very interesting, Lauren. Fran McCaffrey's used to paying, playing 10 to 11 guys, and he, his kids get minutes, and they're, they're fresh, and they play hard. It almost seems like it's been a blessing in disguise uh, for the kids now, the, the seven or eight in the top rotation, because they know they're not going to come out. They know the minutes are there. They know the pressure is there, and they've been thriving in that. It, Luca Garza has been – just fascinating through the first part of the season. He's been the player of the year in the Big Ten. He's that old-school, mid-'90s type of post player that has all the pump fakes, all the step-throughs, the little hook shots with both hands. He's extremely skilled, and he's also been stepping out and knocking down the three. If he stays healthy, then it appears that everyone else can fill their role. They don't have to have big performances out of other individuals every night. So if Lucas stays healthy, they'll be in good shape. I broadcast the uh, the Michigan game the other day when Livers, you know, got hurt, and I mean they're just not the same team without him. I mean the way he stretches the floor at that position, they can go with a smaller lineup when he's healthy because he can guard fours and fives. But to just ask Teskey and that uh, inside game to to play without him is going to be a tough challenge. You mentioned uh, Jess Nettles that the uh, Big Ten might be a little better than you thought nationally. What do you think other than? I don't know that it's good luck to be uh, voted number one uh, this time of year. Those teams are falling. But do you see a, a dominant team nationally or two? I don't, guys. I mean, you jump in here, too. You probably watch more national basketball than I have. 
I, I don't see any team out there that any team from the Big Ten Conference would be afraid of at all come March. Uh, Kansas seems like they're a team that if they put it together, they would be a very tough out. But you look at Duke, um, they're not loaded. North Carolina obviously struggling now the injury bug has hit them. I, I just don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think? Is there anybody who you wouldn't want to see, or, or is everybody beatable? Well, if you look at the net, and you got San Diego State number one, you got Butler number three, you got Baylor number six, you got Auburn number eight, you got West Virginia number ten. I'm not. I, I I wouldn't be afraid Illinois played any of those teams. I mean, not that Illinois would be favored, but Illinois could beat any of those teams. I guess maybe it just be, depend on what court they're playing on. And I, so yeah, I, it's I mean, never been this balanced. No yeah, Kentucky, no North Carolina. Where are they? Yeah, I mean, Kentucky lost it to Evansville on their home court. Um, I do like Auburn. Auburn seems like a scrappy team uh, that could make a run in the tournament. But, you know, a team like Illinois, with their size, with their power, if they could get it figured out and their guards come to play, you know, Io has a 25-point type of game. Frazier plays well. This is uh, – we, we talk about March Madness being – you know, wide open, but it, it, it truly is this year. I mean, I, I could see even some mid-major teams get to the Elite Eight this year. Do you still consider Gonzaga a mid-major <laughs> after all these years? No. no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think – and I'm starting to wonder about Butler. I mean, Butler's just – I mean, they're, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they've, they've done – you know, they handled Purdue and on a neutral court. I mean uh, – no, I can't figure it out. I mean, how how do you how do you judge them? I mean, they, they, you won't. Well, it's just so interesting, Lauren, because you, you, your top your top upperclassmen are basically in the NBA, and yeah. it's been going on for a long time. And these stars leave, and so these these teams that have older players uh, the last few years, like Villanova, mm-hmm. you know, get a few grad transfers or be able to keep their juniors and seniors. They're just so much better. But I do, I do think, and I talked about it earlier, it was, it was so interesting this year, and it's, it's kind of maddening to fans. It seems like last year was the first year where guys, even from the Big Ten Conference, uh, Roby from Nebraska, another one, they knew they weren't going to be first-round picks, or the people advising them from the NBA told them flat out, you are not a first-round pick. There's no guaranteed money. And yet all of those guys said, I would rather go play in the G League, you know, eat at Golden Corral and stay at Super 8s and play in front of empty arenas than come back for my junior or senior year and be a dominant Big Ten player. So that was – I don't know what your take is on that, but that was really strange to me that so many guys, Amir Coffey, all those guys just left, and it just didn't seem like a wise decision to me. They got to do what they got to do, but I'd rather play in front of, you know, Big Ten crowds than play in the G League. Yeah, and, and there are several of them playing. There's there's a couple guys playing in in the uh, Australian league, and you got Wiseman who just left uh, Memphis, who's just getting ready to turn pro. He, I don't know, he's not playing for anybody that, as far as I know right now. He's just getting getting ready to, to get in the draft. And, and you, the, the, this guys that are just there's a the, the G League has at least gone to thirty five thousand dollars a year plus expenses, so a guy can get by and not have to attend classes. It seems to me that. More, more and more guys may go that way. I don't think it's a, it's a good step. I don't. It's a cutthroat league, Jess. It's a league you wouldn't want to be playing in because every every man is out for his own self. But it's not like 
college where you're playing for the name of the school. But uh, nevertheless, if, if you don't want to go to class, you can make money there, and, and maybe it's a step toward the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is capitalism. It's their choice, and, you know, you wish them the best. But I still, when you talk to guys a few years later who did it, Lauren, Ooh. there's usually regret. Yeah. There's usually regret that they had an opportunity to get a degree at a school like Illinois, set themselves up academically, get better, work with good coaching, and – I mean, there's just nothing like college basketball games on campus. If you're a first-round pick and there's guarantees there, I mean, I totally understand that. But just to risk it all for that, to go play in front of empty gyms, I, I don't know. They're, 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 you can't say they're getting bad advice because now they're going through that process, Lauren, and they know exactly what they're, what they're going to be, and they still go. Now, you know, Carson Edwards was, I thought, maybe the player of the year in the Big Ten last year. We could argue about that. But um... – He's been in the G. He's been up and down. He's not. I, the last box score I looked at was like three days ago. I looked at the three previous box scores, and he didn't get in. The, uh, he didn't get in the games. So uh, I I know he's uh, wh- wh- he's at Miami, isn't he? I think he's. I think it's Miami. Uh, Boston, right? Boston. Have I got it wrong? Okay. Wherever he is, he's not playing. <laughs> and and uh, not, Boston, he, Carson Edwards would be a unique situation there where he probably maxed out. I mean, yep. the tournament that he had was so spectacular and special. You, you, you know, he gets, he sits down and they say, look, you're going to be a second round pick probably, but you're probably not going to be any higher than this the next year. And he made a business decision and that was the right decision. I think he ended up getting a three or four year guaranteed deal, even though he's a second round pick. He, he got 4 but, million uh, bucks. I saw that. Yes. I mean, so over four Carson. years, over four years. Yes. Yeah, so good for him, and that was great. And look, I'm I'm don't mean to take you on a rabbit trail with this, but it's just it's really surprising how many guys left. And on the positive, there's always guys in the Big Ten who step up, and boy, they've they've sure stepped up this year. And it's so exciting for me, Lauren, and I know you a little bit, just to see all the dominant centers in the league. It's truly yeah. a inside powerful league this year for the first time, and feels like 15 years. Yeah, they're going back to the two-point game. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And Illinois has two of the best of them. That's for sure. That's uh, Jeff Settles for BTN, former player at Iowa. We appreciate uh, your time, Jess, to, to talk basketball. We'll do it again one of these days after the first of the year. Happy holidays to you. Hey, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, guys. And I, I think I call the Illinois Rutgers game in a few weeks, so I look oh, forward good. to seeing both of you. Look forward to seeing you. Good. Good deal. Thanks, Jess. Okay. Moving up on 9.50 on a Saturday Sports Talk, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk from San Francisco. We'll take a break. Fred Wakefield is here. We'll talk to the former Illini after this. Stay with us. This afternoon, it's the Big Ten opener for Illinois women's basketball as they take on the Northwestern Wildcats. Mike Kuhn on the call at 2 p.m. from State Farm Center, 145 pregame here on DWS. Welcome back to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, everybody. 9.50 heading towards 11 o'clock. Steve Kelly in San Francisco, Lauren Tate in Champaign, Fred Wakefield, Tuscola, Illinois, University of Illinois graduate, now an employee of the U of I is with us in San Francisco. Fred, good to see you. Good morning, fellas. How's it going? We're doing well. You're now the uh, director of West Coast Development and Donor Relations. I know it barely fits on a business card, It does. Right? <laughs> I noticed that. Um, and you're based in what, Phoenix? Based out of Phoenix, yeah. We moved back out to Phoenix, I don't know, probably four or five years ago. And uh, when Josh stepped into the role of AD, we kind of started talking about 
how much I still wanted to be involved, and this this turned out being a pretty good opportunity, and it's working out pretty well. Which so. came first, the move back to Phoenix or the job? The move back to Phoenix, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we were back there, and uh, kids were at a certain age, and body wasn't holding up with the freezing temperatures, and uh, <laughs> so we decided to go back out to Phoenix, where we still had a bunch of people we knew. And over time, Josh and I just got talking about it, and then Howard Milton also was part of this conversation where we were trying to figure out what it looked like. And there's so many alumni out here on the West Coast, especially in the Bay, um, that it just ended up being a really good opportunity to get out here and connect with the the past alumni and donors that we already have out here on the West Coast. Remind us of how long you spent in Phoenix and your playing days there. Yeah, so once I got done in Illinois, I went to Phoenix. I played six years with the Cardinals and then a couple with the Raiders. So mm-hmm. I have pretty good knowledge of both Phoenix and San Francisco. And then uh, once I went back, I had retired. I actually was back in Champaign for a number of years, uh, I think about six and a half, Mm -hmm. and then got my MBA, came back out to Phoenix, and then I was working in cybersecurity for a couple years out here, and so I spent a lot of time in L.A. and Denver and all these different cities that I still go to now, and it's worked out well. Having that knowledge of the area and already having a pretty good route of good Illinois folks out this way, it's been been a fun fun, uh, run and really enjoying it. Fred, this is Lauren. What's it mean to have a – team coming out that way and playing in in uh, the bay area uh even though they're uh, it's not their home fi- <laughs> home field by any means but uh, uh what do you see as a turnout from from the Illini side there's a lot of excitement right i mean it's one of those that when i, I took this role about a year and a half ago uh, everybody was just wanting to know when they're gonna have more events out here i mean because when i played in a couple years before and after we felt like we always had a football game at least against san diego state or uh, what was the other one? Washington State. There was a few of those ones that would always happen out here, and so people wouldn't know when that was going to happen again. Um, and you know, not seeing any on the on the near schedule, it was nice to get this bowl game. Just like we had uh, the basketball team out in Phoenix and in Tucson last month, mm-hmm. uh, the turnout was fantastic, right? And so already hearing a lot of good things. We got a few events going on out here the next couple of days, and then the game firing up, and everybody's really excited about it. You know, it's it's always tricky when it falls into the holidays. So you you hope most of those people are still around. But uh, a lot of people are turning out, and it should be pretty good. We'll be, I'm excited to see who all shows up. As a football player yourself, how do you see this team in terms of its readiness to play this game? Um, I think I'm in the same boat as most people, right? You want to see a healthy team, right? You get to this point, and you want to see what they can put on the field, and you see what's going on, and we've proven that when we're healthy, we're, we're, we're a very dangerous team. I mean, we've, we've got some talent. We've got guys who make a lot of plays. Uh, I'm excited to see what's going on. I'll be honest. It's funny because the people out here always want to know what's going on in the locker room. And I try to tell them, like, I don't live in Champaign. I don't know what's <laughs> going on in the locker room, guys, uh, in terms of, like, health and where people are at. But I feel good where we're at. I mean, we got some kids who can play, and, uh, and I'm excited to see what we put on the field this week. Talking to Fred Wakefield here in San Francisco. You and uh, Josh Whitman were teammates at the U of I. You, got, you went to a bowl game. You went to the uh, MicronPC.com right. bowl, and that broke a – streak of a few years without going to a bowl right so some similarities here how big is this for this team to get back in the bowl business it's really big i know you know reading through social media and some of the stuff josh has put out over the past you know couple months there's a lot of similarities from that team to it would have been our junior year right and uh, some of the wins and some of the tough losses but still you could see a program being built right and you can see the young guys developing and you can see the people who are making plays stepping up and making the plays they're supposed to be making um, it's a foundational piece I mean Josh and I were part of rebuilding a program I mean same thing happened when I went to the Cardinals you know the year after I left again they went it's like the year after I left here they went to the Sugar Bowl right <laughs> and then the year after I left the Cardinals they went uh, went made a run to the Super Bowl right it's, it's crazy kind of how that works but seeing p- uh, programs rebuild 
and what is necessary. It's always exciting to kind of see those pieces starting to fall into place. Now it's a matter of start stacking some depth and getting those guys, which it sounds like from some of these recruits we've, we've pulled in that's already signed this year. We've got some good, good moves and good things happening. You mentioned uh, some of the things you did after your playing days before you came back with the U of I was was maybe coming back and working uh, for your alma mater always in the back of your mind at some point? Uh, did the right things need to fall into place? It did, right? It was one of those where I you get done playing football and you kind of have to rediscover what you want to do, right? I mean, you play for so long and it's, I mean, not everybody jumps right back into school and does, you know, or has a job right away, right? And so trying to figure out what was next and what was going on and after going back and spending some time in Champaign but yet realizing um, the cold is not where I want to be. I mean, I'm freezing today and it's not too bad here in San Francisco. Um, it just became a right fit and then I think that having Josh in place made a big piece, right? I mean, I really believe in what he's doing and how he's, he's, rebuilding the athletic department in general, right? It's really it's really turning out well, and I think people are starting to see things turn the corner now. Lauren? Yeah, well, Fred, I, I don't have much else to, to throw at you. I just uh, – uh, what would it mean for Illinois to get out with a win and a 7-6 season to you? I mean, are the are – the you know, I, I wonder how the fans – a lot of fans were disappointed here the last two games against Iowa and – and Northwestern, and, and particularly the Northwestern game where Illinois just didn't seem to come out and, and play its game. Now, they were missing some players and missing Peters, but uh, right. it seemed, you know, we've only had a couple of winning seasons uh, in, the, in the last 15, 20 years. What would 7-6 and six mean? Would, would you see that as a bigger stepping stone for the future? Well, for starters, 7-6 and six always sounds better than 6-7, and seven, right? Yeah. I mean, you sit there at that kind of precipice where you have a chance to finish off with a winning season and uh, – and I think it's necessary, right? I think everybody wants to see it. From a fan st- standpoint, yes, it feels better. But just from a program-building standpoint, to kind of be able to hold your head high walking into spring ball and getting those different things going, knowing that you ended up 7-6 and six with a big win at the end of the season. Um, uh, the biggest piece about these bowl games, I don't think people touch enough, is just all the extra practice. As much as I didn't know much yeah. about it whenever I was playing, but once we finally had those extra practices going into that that. Uh, micron PC game it just it's so much values added in what you can do and then getting kids healthy and kind of back in action and seeing what people can do out here on the west coast will be nice that being said most of the heat that I'm getting from fans because now all of a sudden I they think I'm the specialist I get text every other day after the game right basketball or football it doesn't matter (laughs) Um, most people I don't think were as disappointed with the Iowa game out this way I mean I think after seeing what happened last year and seeing what they did going into um, that stadium and play the way they did. I think people were happy and held their heads high. The the, the last game was just tough with all the injuries. But, but, yeah, of course fans were upset. But that, I think that's what people want to see. Okay, are we healthy? Are guys ready to play? And I think what from what I'm hearing, how practice has been going, I think we'll be ready to go. Well, you know, you're on the financial side of things and with donors and all. And I, I just find it interesting. We just played Missouri, and they're in terrible shape financially. They've lost a whole bunch of money. They've couldn't go to a bowl game this year because of sanctions. They had to fire the coach, Odom, and they brought in and it cost them another $10 million there, and they're way in, in debt. And Cal, I think, has got similar problems. When I talked to Mike White, he, he talked about the problems that, uh, you know, Mike is a, is a Cal graduate and, and coached at Cal as well as Illinois, and evidently they've got some. Uh, have, you heard, have you heard about that? I mean, that Cal's got some financial problems trying to keep everything uh, above, uh, uh, you know, above water, so – uh, at least Illinois. So, yeah. At least what Josh is doing now, he he owes a lot of money because I know we we've got, had to go into debt for some of these things. But it looks like uh, the budget's operating on a pretty good level, and that's not the case at Cal, and it's not the case at Missouri. 
So I hear a lot of whispers living out here, right, with the other schools, but uh, I don't know enough to kind of chime in my two cents on what's going on with them. But I know that, you know, a lot of these pieces go to foundational, right? And we know Josh and the kind of guy he is and how, what he stands up for. Um, and I know he understands the business side of it just as well, if not better than the athletic side of it, right? So to have an understanding of that grasp and the budget and what's going on, I mean, I think his his previous life and record kind of leading into this has added a bunch of value to what he's doing now. And so I think that things are building in the right direction. And the crazy part is, as programs have been down last few years and the support that we've got from um, donors and alumni is just continues to grow. I mean, we constantly see these people stepping up with big gifts and um, contributions and want to be a part of this program. So I think people can feel what's going on, and I think a lot of that feeds off of what Josh and Lovey and Brad and the rest of these coaches are building around this program right now. Talking to Fred Wakefield, when you came to the U of I from Tuscola as a skinny freshman, <laughs> did you have the, uh, the NFL aspirations at that time? And then looking beyond that, after spending eight years in the NFL, was it everything that uh, – you could have dreamed of and you thought it would be or more so funny um most people don't believe this but i didn't dream about that right no. for starters i thought i was gonna be a basketball player right. up until like right. my junior senior high school right um, and then i realized at six seven i couldn't really play a center anymore i'd have to <laughs> build a dribble that didn't work out very good uh, and then even when I went to Illinois, it wasn't until probably my second or third year, and I was at an event with Coach Turner, and he made a comment about playing uh, for 10 years in the NFL, and I was like, really? Huh, I hadn't even thought about playing. I was going to school to go to school and, and wanting to do what I could do on the field. I mean, I know it's a different mindset than a lot of the guys nowadays. I mean, most people come in, that's their, what they want to do. Sure. They want to play in college to go play in the pros. Um, that being said, it was great, right? I mean, is it um, – Lots of hard work. Heck yes. I mean, it's the crazy part I still try to remind people about the NFL is some of the best players you see on Saturdays don't even touch the field on Sunday, right? It's just it's just a different beast when you get there. But I really enjoyed that time. Um, it's a cool memory, and it's a lot of fun to share, you know, with different people when we kind of get together and talk about it. But it's kind of the point now we're 10 years out. You know, there, I, I think I've forgotten more than what I can even remember, right? It's just crazy to kind of go back and think about some of the moments. But um, I enjoyed that time, but it, it was it's definitely in the past. Did your body hold up okay? Are you doing okay now? I'm doing better when it's not 19, <laughs> negative 19 degrees, and that helps out my cost quite a bit. Hey, Fred, we appreciate your time. Great to see you as always. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate the time. That's Thanks, Fred, Fred Wakefield on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show with you in San Francisco. Body by Lou. Lou Hernandez is up early here this morning. How you doing there, coach? Yes, sir. Doing okay, and yes, uh, sir. you got an early start. Are you adjusting to the time difference and everything? It's been great. You know, uh, it's gives you just a couple of extra hours to get up and go, so it's been absolutely great. I'm enjoying it. Did you go to Alcatraz? We sure did, absolutely. Had you been there before? I had when I was with the uh, New York Jets, and it's been almost 20 years, God, 2001, and um, had an opportunity to go out there and visit at that time. It's been absolutely great. Did uh, the guys seem to enjoy that? I think they were really fascinated. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, sir. Well, well, wait a minute, Lou. How'd you get out? How'd you get out of there? 
That's exactly right. I might be one one of the uh, one of the guys that actually try to escape it. So. <laughs> it looks like that'd be an easy enough swim across there, but uh, oh, oh, apparently boy, it wasn't. You, right? No, sir. You got that right. So what else? Uh, you had practice a couple of times, and yes. uh, nothing is real close to where we are, right? We're in downtown San Francisco, and you got to go an hour to get anywhere. Welcome to California. <laughs> you got that right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a ride, but uh, we're taking in the scenes on the way, so it's been absolutely great. It'll be a month between games, basically. Uh, so what have you had the guys? They had a little time off, obviously, for the holidays, but uh, what kind of uh, program have they been on? Oh, it's been absolutely great. I tell you what, this particular time of the year for me has been absolutely wonderful. I, I love this time of the year in bowl prep. You know, we've used pretty much, well, the entire month of December uh, to work out, run, skills and drills. And for me, that's the best thing about bowl, about, about going to a bowl, is having that extra time. So instead of two months off, you know, they actually get just one month off. Um, and, you know, for, for me, I mean, that's been the biggest bonus about this particular time is to make sure the guys are continuing to work and get better. We obviously have this task at hand coming up, and it's a very challenging task uh, coming up with uh, versus Cal. And uh, just continuing to use this time to look to the future to continue to build our guys for the next coming season. Well, Lou, uh, you, you, here we are on Saturday for a Monday game. Have you uh, – now, do you do any, any weight training at all? When, when do you stop the weight training before the game? Actually, today would be our last day okay. um, at this particular time right now. And, and we usually – we've gotten all our big lifts in earlier in the week, um, which we consider the, the basics of our program, you know, our bench, our squat, and our cleans. And here at the back end of the week, um, with this would be our last day, is just a lot of bodybuilding exercises for the guys, just to stimulate and uh, keep themselves um, in their routine. This bowl uh, situation kind of gives you, throws you a little bit of a curveball in a way because it's been a month between games, as we said, but you've played 12 games. Right. So is this more like getting ready for a, a season opener, or how do you combine that you know the, the transition from coming out of the season um you know the best thing is that we've been able to continue to to work on conditioning uh the hardest part about that is matching game intensity and that is really difficult to do so hopefully within this month we haven't lost a lot of it um i think they're going to feel it a little bit in the beginning but it, it i think it's going to be easier to adapt to this game than it would be on an opener for sure. You're not uh, you're not a doctor or a trainer, but you you work directly with those guys, uh, those folks on the staff. Is this a, a time where you can get some guys healthy that may have been a little dinged up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this you know rest is extremely important, and to have an opportunity to have that right now. Uh, is going to get our guys, the ones that we're expecting back, ready to go. On a bowl trip, is there there are so many other things that uh, that they like to have the teams do, but you got to you got to balance that. Is there plenty of time to get all that done and still get the the proper amount of uh, workouts in? Absolutely, coach has a great schedule. Understanding that, you know, we are at a place to come out and visit, and you know, uh, this is kind of a reward for a great season. But Coach also has the guys locking in at the right particular time. So he's got a great schedule for this program. Lou, when you uh, have players who have injuries, uh, minor or major, are you able to uh, work those players on other parts of their body that are healthy? Can, For instance, if, I, if I've got an ankle sprain, can you still work on my upper body? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, we always uh, are going to try to find something to do in the weight room, whether it's one arm, one leg, um, a, a machine, a rubber band. We want our guys to stay in the mix as much as possible with the rest of the team and the continuing to work the flow. So absolutely, we're going to do everything we can to find a way and be really creative to make sure we're continuing to work on the areas that we want to concentrate on. Are you as anxious as a lot of folks uh, to get to game day? or you know, do, you, I mean, do you feel like they could, they're ready to go? Absolutely. You know, I think the guys, you know, in the beginning were a little bit confused with how we were um, continuing to work. You know, obviously, nobody had been to a bowl, so they really weren't understanding the process. But our seniors have been incredible and are understanding and have bought in from the beginning. So they really were, are, deserve a lot of credit for moving our guys in the right direction. So, yes, we're really excited about now starting to get to the game day. I know the offseason is a key time for guys to improve, but do you see during the season guys continue to – to make that improvement and maybe hit some new levels they hadn't been at? Absolutely. You know, we can. We believe that you're either getting better or, or getting worse. There is no stay the same for us. And uh, we've had some really nice numbers and some, uh, some actually guys have hit a few PRs, um, uh, personal bests um, here before we've left for the bowl. So that's what we're continuing to work on. You know, the best time that you want your body at its best is when you're performing. That's during the end season. Um, in the off season, we want to continue to reach new numbers and take them to places they've never been before. And we're really going to force that upon them to get there. But our goal is still to continue to get better. Now, we obviously have to work around the stress and the demands of football, uh, obviously, you know, but we're still trying to push on the, uh, the gas pedal as much as we can, um, to, uh, as safely as we can, to make sure that we are trying to get ourselves better absolutely hey, Luke, can you tell us uh who's the best bench presser who's best at the squat who's best at the clean on this football team yeah absolutely you know probably our best bench presser is kenyon jackson you know he's all about a 450 pound bench presser right now uh he does an incredible job at it he's got he's one of our seniors with incredible leadership and uh just re really fortunate to have him and uh, he works extremely hard, and uh, he's just a strong kid, and, um, you know, he does an amazing job. Um, our best squatter um, is uh, Kendrick Green. Uh, just, you know, he's over uh, – he's trying to approach a 700-pound squat, which I think he might have an opportunity to get to by the summertime. Really? Um, absolutely. 700 you pounds know. on a squat. <laughs> uh, that's his goal, and we are making great strides to it. He's in the mid-sixes right now and handles that weight absolutely great. In fact, he wanted to attempt it last summer, but we were getting to a point where I thought we were getting so close to camp where I said, well, we just need to kind of hold off a little bit. And let's 650 pounds is a strong enough squat you know, to get into camp. So let's go ahead and take that for now. That explains <laughs> and, why he's Illinois' best lineman. Absolutely. <laughs> and hard work pays off, and he deserves a lot of credit for that right now. So absolutely. What about the clean? The clean, we have 21 guys right now that are able to produce a 300, pound, 300 pounds or more. And what we're working on with that right now is our weight room goal is to have at least 33 guys. 
So we got some work to do to get ourselves better with that particular exercise and try to get to back to where we were in the Rose Bowl years with guys who were doing teams that were over 40 guys that could do that particular number. So um, so, we got, so we got some work to do on that exercise. Hey, Lou, good to see you. Ed Bond has figured out where the meal room is, so you better get in there so there's <laughs> – some left it's time to grow you got that right let me try to see if i can sneak in before him absolutely thanks lou we appreciate it thanks for having me you go bet. illini lou hernandez with us strength and conditioning coach for the illini we'll take a break here at 10 15 illini Pella saturday sports talk continues after this stay with us join us for fighting illini football in a bowl game the red box bowl illinois against cal monday december 30th kickoff at three on I game day from Santa Clara at 1.30 on December. Is Brian on, Becca? Welcome, everybody, to Illini Fellas Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly in San Francisco, along with Ed Bond, Ken Brown, and the rest of the Illini contingent. Lauren Tate in Champaign. Josh Whitman, athletic director in, fresh off a uh, daylight view of the Golden Gate Bridge. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How did that go? It was breathtaking. Uh, you know, it, I don't spend a lot of time out here, but from what I understand, getting a clear view of the Golden Gate uh, in the morning without the fog is, is pretty rare. And so uh, it was really cool to be able to get up there this morning and, uh, and, and enjoy that. So you've been uh, keeping busy since you got to town a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of days ago, rather, and uh, a lot of stuff on the schedule uh, mixed in around practice and with the goal of getting set for that game. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's just a great opportunity, obviously, for our young men to be out here and enjoy all that San Francisco has to offer. It's a great celebration of the season that we had, but uh, also, as we've been talking, a, a great springboard into an even more successful future. And uh, and so you, you always want to find that balance and, and use the bowl game experience as a uh, great chance to, to reward people for, for uh, the, the season that they've had, but also to light the fire and, and lay the groundwork for uh, for what's to come. Last uh, hour, we talked to one of your former teammates, Fred Wakefield, now a member of your staff out on the West Coast, about going to a bowl game after you hadn't been to a bowl game for a while. That happened with your team. There was a, like a five-year uh, separation between bowl appearances before you guys went to the MicronPC.com Bowl. Um, how, how important is this? And there are a lot of similarities in the situation. I think that's right. Certainly, we, we've talked about the progress that we're trying to make with Illinois athletics, with Illinois football, and, and getting back into the bowl business, so to speak, uh, was an important step uh, in that progression. And so uh, for us to be out here in San Francisco to have a chance to participate in a, a great game like the Red Box Bowl with a high-profile opponent like Cal, uh, I, I think is, is just um, you know something that we can all be proud of and, and is – uh, the key for us, I think, has got to be the, the springboard to an even better future. And, and so, uh, but, but it was a, an obvious next step, a needed next step uh, for the program to continue to grow. And uh, just really proud of the work that's gone into uh, to making this possible, both uh, the people inside the football program and, and all the folks listening on the, on the radio and uh, buying the tickets and flying the flag and, and continuing to support the program. It's, um, it's been a group effort. It's been a family effort and uh, really uh, grateful to everybody who's had a hand in making it possible. Josh, this is Lauren. Talk about the, uh, the difficulty, I guess is the right word, uh, of getting so many people out, that huge band group with so many planes and so many different, I mean, everybody is trying to get out there, but, uh, and, and 
what are the what's the finances like in terms of trying to pay for all that and and just 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 give us an idea what what all the complications of so many people moving west it is it's an incredible undertaking i i haven't been involved in the day-to-day of it but but warren hood and our office has really taken the lead on it uh in terms of from the department's perspective tim knox uh leads as he always does on, on the operational side for the football team uh zach um has uh, zach acton has been incredibly involved on the event management side uh, as you said lauren moving the entire band by itself is quite an undertaking and so i I think our travel party now is up uh, in the low 800s the big group with uh, between the band staff the student athletes family members uh, a lot of folks out here will end up bringing uh, four different charter planes out here Uh, two came out on the 26 two others are coming out today Um, and uh, you know the bowl uh, obviously gives all the each of the bowl games gives the participant a, uh, a financial payout, and, and we generally use that payout to, to pay for the game. And, and uh, Warren's done a great job, uh, along with Susan Young, John Chipman, in our business office of, uh, of monitoring our finances. And, and it, it looks like we should uh, about break even on this game. It's one of the more expensive bowl games out there just because of the location and uh, wanting to bring the whole band if we'd taken – uh, if we'd been in one of the games eastward, it would have been a lot more cost-effective because you could probably bust the band just about anywhere, whether it was, you know, Florida or New York. But uh, but having to fly the band adds a, a whole layer of expense that uh, we think we're still able to build into the budget and uh, and come out. Uh, well, that's fantastic. If you can take 800 people out there and break even, I'd say uh, that's that's a major uh, accomplishment. Well, we, we think so. And, again, it, Warren's been great, uh, been working really hard to, to, to monitor the numbers and, and try and, and keep us in a, in a good place. And, uh, you know, sometimes you may have to put a little more money into it. We'll see how it all shakes out when it's, when it's all said and done. But uh, uh, money well spent in terms of, uh, of the progression of the football program and chance to keep uh, so many different people involved who have had a hand in getting us to this place. Visiting with Josh Whitman, you mentioned getting back in the bowl business. Certainly, that is a step. Uh, the big step is to win the game and finish seven and six, as opposed to six and seven. There's a big uh, difference in the way that sounds. And uh, talk about the game itself and what you expect and how you expect uh, your team to play. I'm excited for this game, and uh, certainly we've had some time to prepare and get some get some guys healthy, which I, I think helps. Uh, we were we're pretty beaten up there by the by the end of the regular season. Um, but uh, you know, I've got a lot of respect for this Cal team. I, I think that they're a, a good program. Uh, Justin Wilcox, I think, is, is one of the young up-and-comers in, in college football. I think he's got a really bright future uh, as a head football coach and uh, been impressed. I, I don't know a ton about them, but, but my understanding is that defensively they're uh, a, a very sound team. They play uh, really well on the, on the defensive side of the football. Obviously, they've got the – the leading tackler in, in all of college football uh, on that side. Uh, offensively, I, I, I understand they've done some good things. Um, they, I think they've gone through some, some spells, as we have, where they haven't scored as many points as they would like. Um, so I, I think it's a, a really nice matchup for us when, when uh, it came together the way that it did. I was excited about um, you know the Big 12, or I'm sorry, the, the Big 10, Pac-12 uh, piece to it and excited about uh, who the Pac-12 representative would be. I think it'll be a uh, a great game and a good time for us and, and uh, hopefully a nice matchup and, like you said, a good chance to get out there and get that seventh win. 
Cal playing uh, an hour away from their campus, so it's pretty much a home game for them. Um, but don't underestimate the uh, University of Illinois alumni base in this part of the country, right? No question, and that that was another thing that uh, I was excited about when, when it became evident that we'd be headed out this way is a lot of people may not realize that outside of Chicago, San Francisco, and the Bay Area here is uh, the largest alumni base uh, that we have anywhere in the country. And so uh, I hope that a lot of our uh, West Coast-based alumni will make the trip down to Santa Clara. I'm sure they will. And, uh, you know, we're expecting a good crowd. And so it's um, it, there are a lot of good reasons that this is a – a nice game for us to be in. I think the matchup is is key. I, I love the date in December 30th, a little bit uh, after Christmas, to so give people a chance to be home for the holidays and then and then still get out here and, and enjoy the game. Uh, love the the television partner. Obviously, Fox is a a major partner with the Big Ten and it's a national platform. Will be one of the only games in in that window. Uh, so there's a lot of things to like about the game and, and certainly. Uh, being out here with uh, with such a large contingent of uh, of proud Illini is uh, is is yet another thing to uh, to be excited about being out here in the Bay Area. Josh, what else has been on your docket in the last month other than football and the bowl game? Well, the the bowl has taken uh, a significant amount of time. Uh, there's there's no question that as we kind of made the the final turn uh, on the regular season, a lot of attention got turned to uh, to making some preliminary preparations for this trip, even though we didn't know exactly where it would be. Obviously, we knew we'd be going somewhere. Uh, so the bowl has taken uh, a lot of attention. We've um, been working, as we always are, on several different fundraising projects. Uh, we've got a couple of different facilities projects in the works, um, you know, supporting our basketball team as, as, as they get started. Uh, I was out in Utah with uh, with the volleyball team and, and their run to the NCAA tournament. Um, so it's uh, you know the, the end of the fall always brings n- no shortage of uh, of work. There are a lot of a lot of things going on as they wrap up the fall season, get the the winter sports underway, and uh, you know wrap up the 2019 year and, and turn the, the page to 2020. And then you add add on top of that the uh, the bowl game now and and. Uh, Great, great reasons to be busy. So there's uh, no shortage of stuff going on, but a uh, uh, lot of lot of fun. Each of the each of the things that are keeping us keeping us hustling. Well, I brought up finances for uh, both Missouri, which we just played in basketball. The difficulties in the red ink that they're involved in. I think Cal is having some problems that way. Uh, this is the end of the year, not the end of your uh, 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 your actual year, or school year. But the end of the year, where do you stand right now in your view? Are you are you on uh, online financially with the, with the uh, budget? Sure. Yeah, like you said, we're we're only midway through our fiscal year, um, so everything is uh, is based on projections at this point. But you know, we uh, we dramatically exceeded uh, the uh, the budgeted numbers that we had for football sales, which was great. Uh, we've we've now surpassed the budgeted numbers that we had for men's basketball sales, which is important. Um, so in terms of our, our two ticket revenue drivers, uh, those have, have both been uh, beyond what we had uh, had built into the budget, which is uh, always a good place to be. You've got um, the best SID in the business sitting next to you in Ken Brown. Is it part of his job to keep you on pace and let you know what you've got ahead on any given day today on a trip like this? He's certainly part of it, yeah. <laughs> there's uh, there are a lot of different moving parts uh, on a trip like this. And, uh, you know, it's it, again, it's fun to be out here. And we've, we've got different events scheduled over the next several days. We've got some fundraising activities. We've got some fan activities 
got some media things that were going on, obviously team activities as well. And so um, I we don't really have one master schedule. I've got several different pieces of paper I've got to look at every morning when I wake up and figure out where I'm supposed to be. But, uh, you know, it takes a, takes a village to get something like this done and make sure that everybody involved has the, the full benefit of the bowl experience. And uh, I hope as it as we um, you know get through the game and get back home, everybody has a chance to catch their breaths and, re- and reflect on uh, what what hopefully was a great five or six days out here on the West Coast. I mentioned we had Fred Wakefield on a little bit ago. Uh, talk a little bit about the job he's done, not not just because he's walking up here. Next yeah, it's to- been rough. I tell you, he's <laughs> underperformed in almost every way that we. Uh, we but he's expected. been on on the case for what about a year and a half now. He has, yeah. Fred, uh, a lot of folks, obviously Fred's a very familiar name and a familiar face. And, um, you know, it's it's ironic. Fred uh, was, was living out here in, in the Phoenix area for a number of years after his, his football career ended. And um, and just as – and then he moved back to Champaign for a while, uh, got his MBA from our College of Business. And uh, just as I got the job and, and was heading back to Champaign, Fred and his family decided to relocate back out to Phoenix. And so we, we were kind of two ships – passing in the night but uh you know fred and i have been good good friends uh now for a long time and uh, we used to trade a lot of paint with him playing defensive end and, and me playing tight end <laughs> and, um and so as as he got settled back in out into the phoenix area for the second time um you know we started talking about some different opportunities that might exist in, in one of the gaps that we identified in our alumni relations and our fundraising efforts was it's it's just hard to get out here getting west from champagne is uh, is not easy. I try to get out here probably t- two, three, four times a year. Uh, and when we do come, we, we try and stay uh, three, four days at a time just because uh, to make the, the time efficient. And so, you know, having somebody who was a little more proximate who could uh, get around to some of our West Coast cities and, and see a lot of our alums out here on a more regular basis we thought would be helpful. And, and Fred, uh, you know, brings a tremendous skill set, uh, very personable very organized, uh, very creative, intelligent, uh, and uh, and so he's he's just done a great job. Hit the ground running out here, uh, made a lot of connections with people. Done a great job of uh, of setting up some events and uh, and and spreading the good word. And, and uh, so we're we're thrilled with his progress. He he's back in Champaign uh, a lot. Uh, he spends a, a lot of time in airplanes and in hotels, which we appreciate. We knew that would be a part of the gig. Uh, for him, but uh, but having him be more directly involved with the athletic program here the last uh, year plus has, I think, really been a, an advantage for us and, and looking forward to um, to his continued uh, growth and, and engagement as we move forward. Back when you were trading paint, as you put it, to helmet to helmet to practice, did you ever uh, have any thoughts about uh, the fact that you guys might be working together at some point down the road? Oh, gosh, no. I mean, I think we were just so – you get in those moments and, and you're so myopic in, in what you're focused on. It was all about uh, the routine. It was all about practice. It was uh, about using each day to get better. And, you know, Fred and I uh, really were a lot alike in, in that we, I think we had similar work ethics. We uh, we practiced hard. We lifted hard. We ended up spent a lot of time together in the weight room. Uh, we had uh, a couple scuffles here and there on the, on the practice field because we, uh, we did spend a lot of time together. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just a, a great friendship, and, and uh, we talked a lot about football. We talked a lot about those moments, but we didn't talk a lot about the future. We ended up playing opposite each other in the NFL a couple times. Um, but uh, but beyond that, you know, I don't think either one of us dared to, 
to dream about uh, about what something could look like here 20 plus years later and it's uh, it's been really meaningful to uh, to be able to share this together Josh I got one off the wall um, from you Lauren never Delaney will be in his final days here this weekend as you look ahead with Warren taking over as director do you see any changes how do you see the big 10 going from here without the leadership of Jim Delaney well, I think it, it will be different, certainly. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it'll be necessarily better or worse, but one thing I, I think we can absolutely bank on is that it will be different. It's, uh, uh, it's unusual, certainly, in today's world to have somebody in a position like the commissioner of the Big Ten for 31 years, as Jim has been. And there's only one person in the Big Ten office who's worked there longer than Jim. He's hired everybody in the building. And hmm. uh, and so it's it's brought great stability. It's brought great, uh, I think, thinking and, and vision, foresight. Uh, Jim has, has been truly a visionary leader, somebody who, whose legacy, I think, will, will live long, uh, not just in the Big Ten, but in college athletics. And uh, and so anytime there's a there's a change after having such stability for such an extended period of time, uh, the one thing you can count on is is uh, is a difference. And uh, I've been uh, very very impressed with Kevin Warren. Uh, he's been now in the Big Ten office since September, working alongside Jim, not as the commissioner, but as the commissioner elect. And uh, so we've gotten to spend some time with him, and uh, been impressed with uh, with who he is as a as a professional and, and who he is as a person. I think uh, he's got tremendous leadership skills. Um, he's got tremendous experiences. Uh, what he doesn't have necessarily is tremendous day-to-day work in college athletics, and, and that to me is um, incumbent on us then as athletic directors, as presidents, as uh, the different groups around him to, to, to help him travel that learning curve as quickly as possible so that he can be a, uh, a very dynamic leader for us, and which is absolutely what the Big Ten needs as we move forward. Hey, Josh, we appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Appreciate all of everything you do. Yep. Josh Whitman with us here in San Francisco at 1035. We'll take a timeout and have more. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Stay with us. It's a special bowl preview show live from San Francisco on Sunday night with Brian Barnhart and company. Join us at 8 o'clock Sunday night from San Francisco on DWS. Back in San Francisco on DWS, this is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock Central Time. Phone line is open, 356-9397. For the rest of the way, let's go uh, to the phones. And Alan in Montrose is with us. Go ahead, Alan. Hey, guys. How you doing today? How's the weather out there? It's not bad. It's been uh, sunny and in the mid-50s which is not much different uh, than it was in uh, Champaign uh, earlier this week. But uh, it's looking good. The game time temperature is 55 or 56 in Santa Clara on Monday. What's on your mind? Uh, what TV station is that game on? I haven't really ever heard. You might have already mentioned it, but I'm not getting you guys very good this morning. It's on Fox. Oh, Fox 1 or just regular Fox? Regular Fox. Oh, okay. That's great. I work out good. Uh, yes, that's a pretty good time players. of day for it. Go ahead. Yes, it is. Uh, Peter's going to be back, I guess. Yes, he is. He um, was at the press conference here at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco yesterday and uh, talked about uh, being ready to go. He was almost ready 
for the Northwestern game, but uh, they didn't actually give him uh, clearance until a day or two after that. I think it was Monday or Tuesday, he said, after the Northwestern game, so he'll be ready. I don't know if it would have mattered the way we were playing that day anyway. Maybe uh, Hanson, anybody else going to be back? Don't know if, uh, officially about them. Um, haven't heard much talk about uh, Hanson at all lately, and it's been a while since he played. I'm not sure about Bebe. I, I'd say uh, Bebe is doubtful, but I, again, I hate to, to say that for sure because we get no pregame official words about that unless it's inside an hour before the start of the game. So there's not a lot of talk and practices are closed to the media out here. So we don't have a lot of inside information there. Whatever happened to Ricky Smalling? I thought he was going to come back and he never did. Well, he was injured. He, he was just out for the year. I, they announced that he was out for the year sometime back. I don't know what happened to him. Oh, okay. he, he just was, uh, he was lost for the season. Can he redshirt, medical redshirt? Oh, good question. You know, uh, oh, good question. Steve, did he he played more than four games, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. I'll check it out. I'm almost sure he did. Yeah, I am too, but I I never thought about it. I'm pretty sure he played more than four. It's pretty close. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was close. Okay, that's all I got, guys. Thank you. Appreciate the call, Alan. Phone line open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, we uh, talked to Fred Wakefield earlier, Josh Whitman, a couple of guests in the uh, first hour of the show, and we'll keep the lines open here as we move along. Lauren, uh, earlier this week, Illinois came out uh, with the help of Mike Pearson, came out with the uh, all-decade football teams, offense and defense, and... uh, your thoughts on that, Nathan and Shieldhouse named the uh, off-decade uh, most valuable player, if you will. And uh, you and I both had a chance to vote in uh, some of this. And uh, no major surprises. Kind of a difficult decade, though, to, to put together an all-star team. Well, what you come up with when you're finally done with this is that, well, Shieldhouse, I think, was automatic and, and merciless. Defensively was clearly the best defensive player. But you, over 10 years had an incredibly small number of quality NBA, uh, NFL-level linemen offensively and defensively. When you get by Karras and, and Allegretti and a few of those, they're just not there. And uh, defensively, the same thing. The, the defensive tackle situation has been just terrible for the, for the decade. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't good players along the way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that numbers-wise, Illinois is way down – for the decade, and didn't you see it that way, Steve? I did, I did, and I, in 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 picking those teams, uh, you know, you do a little research, you go back, and, and some guys you forget about. But uh, uh, I, I had that uh, situation on both sides of the ball with that, actually. But uh, th- it was a good uh, group of guys they put together, and uh, kind of an interesting. Uh, a lot of good endeavor. linebackers, weren't there? A lot of yes. good linebackers, and and. Uh, some good running backs, I think. I mean, I thought LaShore was clearly the best, but, you know, you had uh, several others. Ferguson was a good one. I mean, you got uh, the guys that are playing right now. I mean, and, and it's hard to judge the players you have. Now, how, do, how did you judge Harding? I thought Harding uh, deserved to be, uh, you know, one of the linebackers on that uh, all-decade team, and yet he didn't become a regular till this year, his right. senior year. Yeah. And you got a guy like Monheim who was uh, – 
a regular for four years. Yeah, you just and you, when you look at him, you kind of just look at the stats. He's in the you know among the top ten guys in uh, career tackles, and and those things add up. And but there's more to it than that. And uh, it was an interesting endeavor. By the way, Ricky Smalling played in eight games. Okay. So uh, he had uh, 24 receptions in in eight games. So that's not possible. Let's go back to the phones and bring in our friend Marty from Pinehurst, North Carolina. Hey, Marty. Morning. Steve, morning, Lauren. Morning. Weather here is probably as nice as it is out in California. It's going to be around 70 degrees today, Steve. You should get your sticks out. Well, it's not going to be that nice here in California. Yeah, oh. but uh, So you're you're in better shape there golf-wise anyway. Okay. Um, I've got an idea. You just gave it to me on here. Um, how about a Lauren Tate lifetime list of both Illinois football, basketball, baseball, and uh, volleyball, and then throw in the St. Louis Cardinals baseball, the best <laughs> player at each position, first and second team. Well, I could, I could hear, his, hear his mind getting set to explode just oh, thinking yeah. about that. Well, I didn't say it had to be a one-week one series. This could, this could fill in some columns for quite some time, Lauren. Yeah, good. I'm trying to give it's you good. some help here. Well, you know, the, the toughest thing in the world is judging players – 50 years ago as compared to this year. You know, how good was Johnny Red Kerr? Well, how good was Don Sunderledge? I mean, how good how would good would those guys be today? I mean, you know, I don't know. It's, the game changes every 10 years. The only person able to judge that that I can think of is Lauren Tate. No, no, I can't because <laughs> I, my memory's too bad. I'd have to look well, them all up. If you can't do the best, list the best four or five at each position. Well, you're not going to get me. You're not going to get me into that. I'm. I'm trying to look forward. <laughs> <laughs> I look. I look back oh. too much as it is. Well, so do I, and I haven't got your years yet. I'm 20 years behind you, and I. I find myself thinking about things that happened when I was a kid all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, I. I tried because I think it would be if it if not a series of articles, it'd be a great book. Yeah, I'll have my brother do it. How's that? <laughs> hey, that'd be fine as long as you'll comment on it. <laughs> I know I can get you to do that. You guys uh, make Thanks, it a Marty. happy holiday, and let's uh, let's hope the Illini play well on Monday. All righty. Thanks, Marty. Appreciate Bye-bye. the call. Still got time to get in if you'd like to join us here in the next 15 minutes, 356-9397. Illinois, Lauren, about a touchdown underdog going into this game on uh, Monday against uh, the California Golden Bears, who really the one difference, uh, they're both uh, – Showed improvement defensively. Cal's defense is pretty impressive when you start looking into the stats. They're only giving up 22 points a ball game, and they struggled in their losing streak when their quarterback was hurt. But uh, their defense has been been really good, and that's kind of what they're hanging their hat on. Well, yeah, I think that that's right. Their their defense is really solid, and and they've been a better football team than Illinois has in, uh, down the stretch. I mean, they played better at the very end. They lost one of their last four games to Southern Cal, but they won three or four. And uh, the thing that they did, they they hung in the games that they lost, you know, when the quarterback got hurt. And uh, they're they're the, they're a clear favorite in this game. I think even more than seven points because they've got the home advantage. They've got, you know, they're just accustomed to playing out here. And and uh, Illinois has just had trouble. Steve, anytime Illinois plays anybody west of them, it's a problem. The, the record, you know, since 2001 against uh, Iowa and Nebraska is two wins and 17 losses. 
Mike White never beat a California team in five tries at the University of Illinois. Illinois has won one game out of the last eight against California teams. I think that's right. I mean, I'm just some of this stuff I'm doing from semi-memory, although I did look it up earlier this week. But my point is that Illinois does not do well when they play in out in California. Now you can the 14 to 13 win that Makovic and Jeff George pulled off against USC. That's a that's a anomaly, I guess. Uh, there were there were a few others, but. The overwhelming majority of times that Illinois plays somebody west of them, and particularly on their fields, it's not been good. Let's go back to the phones. Eric is calling in from Maryland. Go ahead, Eric. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. What's up? Hey, I was asked, wanted to ask you who you think Mike White's cheering for in this game. Well, he's not going to let anybody know because uh, I asked him about that, but obviously he's a Cal graduate and, and – uh, he, he's going to stay neutral, at least uh, as far as the public knows. Another question for you. Does Illinois have an East Coast liaison like Fred Wakefield Cause it's with the concentration of good recruits and whatnot? Do they have anybody on the East Coast that does what Fred does? No. I, I think that's Why a, not? I think that's an accurate answer, isn't it, Steve? I don't, we, I don't know anybody that uh, works for Josh in the East like Fred does. Do you? I don't know either. No, I do not. Uh, we could have asked uh, Josh that uh, a little bit ago, but uh, next time I bump into him, I'll I'll find out. What uh, whatever else is on your mind, Eric? Well, what about recruiting? I know it, uh, I've been p- paying a little bit of attention to it. They seem to not have gotten any bump out of the bowl game. Uh, all the all the uh, news outlets have them ranked last in the Big Ten in recruiting, and I'm kind of disappointed that. They haven't been able to parlay that into some more recruits. Well, for one thing, they don't have the numbers that other schools do. They've got 31 seniors coming back next year. Now, that's that's how many they got coming back today. <laughs> I don't know what it'll be a month from now, but you know, some some might drop along the way. Some might turn pro. We don't know what what's going to happen in that regard. But Illinois has has only uh, uh, gotten 12 players, and they've really strengthened the defensive uh, line, Steve. They got five of those. They got Davis, McCoy, Newton, Riggins, and Shipton, all defensive linemen that uh, that will help there, which, which is a, a, a position of tremendous need, tremendous need, because they lose three senior linemen on the defensive side. But uh, as I look down the list, you know, uh, Iowa took 22, Nebraska 23, Minnesota 24, Penn State took 27, Ohio State 24, Michigan 22, Illinois 12. And that just tells you the story. I mean, they have to rank last because their numbers don't allow them to be ranked anywhere but last. Nobody else has, has taken that few. The other thing is that Lovey is saving some positions open for the portals, which he had great success on last year. So, yes, as of right now, recruiting looks, you know, they're last in the league. But I don't know where they're well, Go ahead. I noticed the uh, the Michigan State rosters and the Iowa rosters. I, I can't believe how many Illinois kids are on those rosters, and we continue to strike out in the state of Illinois. Well, that's got to improve. That's got to. Let, gotta let me tell you something. The the, the these schools, uh, Illinois, the Big Ten plus Notre Dame, that's fifteen schools, took over three hundred players in this in the signings uh, uh, this past this this month. They took over 300, and of those plus 300, 13 came from the state of Illinois. Five went to Iowa, four went to Northwestern, and one, two, 
three, four, five, six, seven of the schools didn't take any Illinois player. Right now, Illinois has fallen further in the production of football talent than any state in the country. They've fallen yeah. further because at one time, Illinois was ranked up there, not never, never number one, like, never like California, Texas, or Florida. But at one time, Illinois was the top ten, and they're not anymore. Yep. And and it's yeah. the population has fallen below Pencil, Pennsylvania now, and so but Illinois still has over twelve million people, but you know they, they there's something happening in the state where we're not we're, we're losing we're losing population number one and number two football has fallen off. Now, I don't know if there's any relationship there, but it's happening. The numbers Maybe are there. too many soccer moms, huh? Maybe too many soccer moms. I don't know. Hey, Eric, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Yep. Best of luck today. Go Illini. Illinois has, has, has a million more people than the state of Ohio. Steve, which one do you think has a better football product? <laughs> well, you know, you know where I'm going to side on that, uh, but uh, having grown up there. But it's, it's a definite fact. Ohio has always been... Uh, quite a football state, a high school football state, not so much so basketball, but uh, certainly football. We've got about uh, seven or eight minutes left here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And speaking of the folks at Illini Pella, they've developed a Pella lifestyle series of windows and doors that are designed to last for years, finished with their exclusive EnduraGuard wood protection and EnduraClad aluminum clad exterior. Pella Lifestyle Series incorporates everything you love about wood, the beauty, durability, and style, along with uh, flexibility. The Lifestyle Window Series, you can customize a beautiful product that's right for your home. Plus, the Lifestyle Series windows and patio doors are backed by one of the best limited lifetime warranties in the industry for wood windows and patio doors. Give the folks a call at Illini Pella Windows and Doors, 356 6474. Stop by and see them there at 1001 North Country Fair Drive. They're open 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, Saturday by appointment. Check them out online at PellaOfChampagne.com. Illini Pella, the Pella Window Store in Champaign and Urbana, and locations in Danville and several other areas across central Illinois as well. We'll take one final break and be back with more on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Sunday, Illinois basketball's final non-conference game of the season against North Carolina A&T, a 1 o'clock tip-off, 11.30 game day coverage Sunday here on DWS. About three minutes left here on Illinois Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Mr. Tate, anything else on your mind? Well, uh, Illinois plays North Carolina A&T, A&T on uh, Monday. Sunday. 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 I'll get it right. Mm-hmm. And Jay Joyner, the coach, has been suspended. For reasons that I don't know, the team is traveling out here from North Carolina, and um, he won't be with them. At the same time, Walter McCarty, who's the head coach at Evansville, the team that beat your Kentucky Wildcats, yeah, <laughs> at Kentucky, has been has been suspended for repeatedly violating Title IX regulations, whatever that means. The Title IX thing, of course, has to do with uh, women in, in athletics. And uh, he's been suspended from the team. So that's two suspensions here in just the last few days. Jay Joyner at, at North Carolina A&T and Walter McCarty. So um, that's all I got to report on that. Anything else on your side? Well, North Carolina A&T, uh, 
what are they, 3-10 and 10 coming into town. Uh, so now they're coming without their head coach. And yep. who knows how they'll play there. And the Illini are anxious to get back on the, the court after being off a week with a bad taste in their mouth the way they played last week. Yeah, and this is the last game of the season that – you know, that they're going to be an overwhelming favorite, although they do have Northwestern at home, and they should be a favorite at home against Northwestern. But Northwestern on the, at their place has risen up a few times this year and surprised people. So who knows? This is going to be a wild basketball season, 18 Big Ten games to go. And this is our last show of the year, Mr. Tate. All right. On, on Saturday morning, anyway. We'll talk to you next year. How's that? All righty. Thanks, Steve. Good job. Lord Tate with us. Thank you. We Thanks to Will Leach. We talked to, with him in the first hour, as well as Jess Settles from uh, BTN. Also, Fred Wakefield, Josh Whitman, Lou Hernandez out here in San Francisco. Thanks to Ed Bond for his help here. Blake Landa, Kathy Reiser for their work back in the uh, Champagne Studios. We've got a special uh, bowl preview show coming up tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on DWS. Brian Barnhart, Martin O'Donnell, yours truly, Michael Martin. We'll be on that uh, to preview the, the uh, bowl game some more. And then our bowl coverage gets underway at 1.30 on Monday with a kickoff at 3.05. It all comes your way right here on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. For Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend, everybody. <laughs>